Well, I'd like for you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalms 94. We have been uh, looking at uh, the phrase, Blessed is the man. And today we're going to look at something and I think is very, very important. A lot of Christians have never looked at this in this particular perspective. That's why I want your attention today. I know it's cloudy outside, possibly warm in here, and you kind of get snug down in your seat, and the pastor gets ready to preach, and the next thing you know, these eyelids begin to get heavy. Sort of remind me about this uh, guy. Every time the preacher would stand at the preach, he would fall off asleep just like that. Well, it embarrassed his wife, and she would nudge him and do all kinds of things and never could uh, get him awake. And he'd sleep up until 12 o'clock, and he'd wake up just like an alarm clock had gone on. She went to the pastor and said, Pastor said, I don't know what to do. She said, I've done everything in my power. Try to keep my husband awake at night, uh, awake during your sermons, but he always goes to sleep. What would you suggest? He said, well, I'll tell you what. He said, uh, before you come next Sunday, he said, go into the refrigerator and possibly you have some Limburger cheese. <laughs> Cut off a piece, put it in some uh, aluminum foil and put it in your pocketbook. And when he falls off sleep, just stick it underneath his nose. That'll wake him up. Well, the preacher was preaching and she had done exactly what he had told her to do and the preacher was preaching and it was at a moment of where he had paused just for a moment and there was still and quietness in the air. She'd reached down there and she picked up that cheese and she placed it underneath his nose. He jumps to his feet. He said, Ethel, get your dirty feet out of my face. (laughs) So if you don't want to be embarrassed today, don't go to sleep on us. Psalms 94. We're going to talk about blessed is the man who is chastened by the Lord. Listen to what the Bible says in verse 12. If you have a new King James, it doesn't use the word chasten, but if you have the King James, it does. And some other translations, it may use the word chasten. It says, blessed is the man whom you instruct or chasten. Hmm. Let's look at that for a few moments. Would you stand with me? Let's look at the first uh, 12 verses of scriptures as we look at this. O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs, O God, to whom vengeance belongs, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? They uttered speech and speak insolent things. All the workers of iniquity boast in themselves. They break in pieces your people, O Lord, 
and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Yet they say, Lord does not see, nor does God of Jacob understand. Understand, you senseless, senseless among the people, and you fools when you be wise. He who planted the ear, shall he not hear? He who formed the eye, shall he not see? He who instructs the nations, shall he not Correct. He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are futile. And then this is our text. Blessed is the man whom you instruct or chasten, O Lord. Father, in Jesus' name, We come today asking you that you would give us an insight of your character like we have never seen before. Lord, so many times we fail to overlook the chastening of God. But today, we want to take a thorough look. And Lord, if there is a wayward way within our lives, we ask that you will forgive us and cleanse us that we might be pure and holy. So Lord, anoint the preaching and the hearing of your word, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Many years ago, there was a man that was traveling along a countryside road, and his car broke down. And he gets out, like most of us would, opens the hood and looks at the motor and wonders, what in the world has happened to the motor? Why won't it run? He tried and tried and tried, and the motor just... The car just wouldn't restart. Then about that time, there was a limousine that came by and stopped. A nice-looking man gets out, has a, a, a suit on. He says, uh, said to the man with the broken-down automobile, he said, uh, what's your problem? He said, my car won't start. He said, would you mind if I looked? And the man looked underneath the uh, hood. He began to move a few cables and a few wires and knocked on a few things. And he said, well, try it now. And next thing you know, he cranked right up. And the guy says, well, I certainly appreciate your help. And he said, thank you so much. And so the gentleman with the uh, uh, nice-looking suit gets back into the car. And he says, wait a minute. Before you leave, he said, what's your name? He said, my name's Henry Ford. (laughs) He's the one that built the automobile. He's the one that understands the automobile. He's the one that can correct the automobile when it won't run exactly right. Have you ever thought about that's what God does to us sometimes? He has molded us and made us and built us 
And sometimes we just need fixing. And sometimes it's by God's grace that he does what he has to do. Blessed is the man whom you chasten. Blessed is the man whom you instruct. Now, I, uh, I wrote down in my Bible a Burris translation of that verse of Scripture. Listen to what I wrote down. Blessed is the man whom the Lord fixes the things that are wrong in my life. Isn't that right? Blessed is the man whom the Lord fixes the things that are broken. When God came into our life through the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says that we become a new creature. And old things pass away and all things become new. And as a new creature, we're to take upon that image of the Lord Jesus Christ. But so many times that our old sinful nature gets in the way of that. And there it hinders and hampers our spiritual being of what it should be. And so, what God has to do sometimes, He has to work upon our lives. And He does that in, in many different ways. The Bible reminds us that God is the same God who loves us. God is the same God who is a God of grace. God of forgiveness. But also, my friend, He's also a God that corrects us when we do wrong. He is the same God that judges us when we fail to do right. And the process that he does that is through the process of chastening. I am reminded of as God is a God that judges us. I go back into the scriptures in John chapter 12, verse 48. Look at this passage of scripture just for a moment. He says, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. And so therefore, my friend, I want you to understand God judges us. He judges the lost. God has a heaven for the saved, but he also has a hell for the rejected, the ones that have rejected him. The same God. But oh, I'm reminded of a statement by Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, Justice Gray. He was looking at a man in a lower court one day. And as he was talking to that man, because of some legality, he was able to get out of the sentencing that he should have received. Justice Gray said these words. Listen to this. He says, I know that you're guilty and I wish you to remember that one day you will stand before a better and wiser judge. There you will be dealt according to justice and not according to the law. My, 
You think about that. The God that we, that we know as a God of love, He is also a God of wrath and a God that will judge. Verses 1 through 11, uh, no doubt we probably have asked some of the same question. Why does the uh, sinner seem like he gets away f- with sin? We look at our world today. And we see people sinning and sinning and sinning and seem like they're just getting away with it. Has God winked at their sins? Absolutely not. In fact, verses 8, 9, and 10, saying that God is not ignoring their sins, but He is saying that one day their sins will be punished. I want to talk to you for a few moments this morning about chastening, of how God deals with His children when they disobey Him. Now, this is not always a popular subject, but it's a subject that we need to understand as believers. First of all, I want you to notice that chastening is instructive. I go back and I'm reminded in the Bible in Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 36. It says, out of heaven he lets you hear his voice and he might instruct you. He might instruct you. In the translation of the New King James, blesses is the man. As he says there in verse 12. Blessed is the man whom you instruct. And the word instruct is the same identical word as chasten. Chastening. I go to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 through 8. Listen to these words as the writer of Hebrews begins to explain to us of the chastening of God and how that it is very much instructive. He says, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. He is saying that we as believers, we're not to despise it because it is a way that God uses, uh, uses in our life to begin to instruct us. He says, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. I'm grateful that God convicts me of sin. And I'm grateful that he rebukes me when I don't obey him because he loves me and he wants to correct me. For the Bible says, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. And if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you're illegitimate and are not sons. A man says, ha, 
I go out and do what I want to and God doesn't bother me. God doesn't chasten me. Well, my friend, it's a clear sign that you've never been saved. The Bible says you're illegitimate. The Bible says you're not one of the sons of God. But because that he is a father, he will instruct us and chasten us. The writer of Hebrews spoke of chastening as a parental matter. What parent that does not love their children does not try to correct them when they do wrong? One mother was asked, says, if you had to do all over with, would you have children? She said, yes, but not the same ones. (laughs) (laughs) I came across this uh, little piece that I think you might uh, would appreciate. It was a daughter that had wrote, and I think you can identify with her. She said, my mother taught me many things. She said, she taught me about religion. You better pray that will come out of that carpet. (laughs) My mother taught me about time travel. If you don't straighten up, I'm going to knock you into the middle of next week. (laughs) My mother taught me about logic. If you fall out of that swing and break your neck, you're not going to store with me. (laughs) My mother taught me about irony. Keep crying and I'll give you something to cry about. (laughs) I've heard that before. My mother taught me about the science of obsnosis. Says, shut your mouth and eat your supper. (laughs) My mother taught me about contortionism. Will you look at the dirt on the back of your neck? (laughs) My mother taught me about weather. It looks like a tornado has swept through your room. My mother taught me about the circle of life. I brought you into this world and I can take you out. (laughs) Some of you are familiar with that, aren't you? My mother taught me about medical science. If you don't stop crossing your eyes, they're going to freeze that way. My mother taught me about humor. When the lawnmower cuts off your toes, don't come running to me. (laughs) Oh, it's amazing of the things that God has placed in our lives in a manner of correcting us and directing us in the manner of walking in His way and doing His will. So He not only... Chasing is not only directing the child, but it's also defending a child. You think about it for a moment as parents. Many times we would tell our children, now don't play with matches. Many times we'll tell them, don't play with that uh, electrical socket. Many times we'll tell our children, don't touch the hot stove. What are we doing? We're trying to defend them. We're trying to protect them. We're trying to keep them from hurting themselves. A child putting his tongue up to a socket 
electrical socket. You're not afraid that he's going to blow the breaker. You're afraid that he's going to get electrocuted. And so, when I think about the commandments of God, how many times God says, Thy shall not. Thy shall not. What is he doing? He's trying to protect us. Trying to protect us so that we might learn his way and learn his will. So, there is the directing of chastening. But secondly, there is what is known the chastening is corrective. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 17. Listen to this. Correct your son and he will give you rest. Yes, he will give delight to your soul. Correct. Now, we understand that. When a parent corrects his child, what's he doing? He is giving instructions. Psalms 94 verse 12 revolves in the matter of instructions of correcting. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 6 says, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Now, we're living in a world of political correctness, and we don't want to use the word word scourges. But literally, it means flogging. It literally means capital punishment. In other words, as I think about this, we'll tell our children, now don't you touch that. And if you do, you're going to get a spanking. Well, have you ever thought about that? What God does, He does the same way. He does the same thing. As our children were growing up, we uh, had this thing when it came to discipline called bedroom time. Bedroom time was that if they needed discipline, dad would take them into the bedroom. He would talk to them, and he would then discipline What I would normally do is I would send them into the bedroom. I'd make them wait about 30 minutes. It was like a sentence to San Quentin. I mean, there they are waiting and contemplating of what was going to happen. I'll never forget, uh, Sean was just a little fella. And uh, I made him wait for a little while and I walked in there and I says, now bend over and I, I take the paddle and I get ready to, to, to pop him on the rear and when I do, I hear this thud. Come to find out, he put on every piece of underwear he had on that day. He knew what was coming. I remember one time I took Heath into the bedroom and I was getting ready to correct him and I had made him sit there for a little while and when I walked in he said, Daddy, he said, I I got something I need to talk to you about. I said, what is it? He said, I want to know how to get saved. (laughs) (laughs) That was Heath for you. 
Well, after I got through spanking him, he didn't mention anything about getting saved. I guess I beat the devil out of it. <laughs> I'll never forget one, one particular Sunday night. Uh, in our first church, we didn't have a nursery. And um, uh, I think it was Sean. Maybe it was Heath. I don't remember. It must have been Sean. And uh, he was a little bitty thing. And uh, he'd been talking and cutting up and cutting up. And they, him and his mama were sitting in the back. And uh, she says, if you make one more noise, she says, I'm going to take you out and I'm going to tan your hide. Well, of course he did. And I'll never forget, I just preaching away. And all of a sudden, here she picks him up, carrying him out. And as he was going out the door, he said, Y'all pray for me, would you please? <laughs> He needed to be prayed for. Oh, we had some times, boy, I'm telling you. See, there is what is known as uh, further discipline, further disobedience, I mean. Because have you ever uh, corrected a child, and as you correct that child, uh, they never did do that again? (laughs) No, they always seem like they come back and do it again. With Heath, you had to spank him every four weeks, no matter what. Uh, it was just a matter of uh, a timing that you had to take care of. It seemed like he never would learn. Why did I do that? And sometimes, man, I felt like, man, I'm beating my head against the brick wall because it seemed like he's just not getting it. I sometimes feel like that's the way the Lord feels about me sometimes. I about failed, didn't I? I'm going to have to put something around here. <laughs> I get to move, and the next thing I know, I'm going to fall off this stage. But uh, so many times, God tries to teach us things that we just don't learn. And he has to take us and constantly discipline us. But also, there's a firmer discipline. In other words, when God convicts us, He rebukes us, and once He rebukes us, and we don't turn from that sin, that's when He has to take us to the woodshed. And if you've ever been to the woodshed with God, friend, you really don't want to go back. I've been there, and I don't want to go back. Because He's left a lasting impression upon me. Heard about a farmer one time, had an old mule, and uh, he was selling this mule to this his neighbor, and he says, now, you have to deal real gently with this mule. Well, about the next day, his neighbor uh, comes, knocks on the door, just really irate, mad. He said... I've got this mule that you sold to me. He's sitting in in the barn and won't move. And I have dealt gently with him and he still won't move. The guy says, well, let let me see what I can do. So he goes to the farm of this neighbor 
And there's that old mule. He is right there and would not move. He takes a stick and he whacks him across the back end as hard as he could. And all of a sudden, the mule began to move. He said, I thought you said to deal gently with him. He says, yes, that's right. He said, but you've got to get his attention first. (laughs) Sometimes God has to get our attention. And I want you to understand that he knows how exactly how to get our attention. He knows exactly what to do. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 8 says, But if you are without chastening, of which you have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. The Bible reminds us that we are sheep of his pasture. Now, we feel kind of proud about that, but it, you think about sheep. One of the problems that a shepherd would have is that sheep would stray away. They would stray away from the flock. And you know what the shepherd would have to do? He would literally have to take one that was so rebellious and that would not stay in the flock and listen to the shepherd. He would literally break his hind legs. Now that sounds pretty cruel. But listen what else he would do then. He would set the legs, he would bandage the legs, and then he would carry the sheep next to his breast until the sheep was able to walk again. Sometimes God has to get our attention. Sometimes God has to break our legs. And by breaking our legs, He wants to, for us to understand that He means business. And so, friend, if you receive the conviction of God, give Him praise. If He rebukes you in the midst of your sins, honor Him. But if He chastises you, Oh, my friend, the best thing you can do is to learn from your mistake and never, ever, ever do it again. One last thing. Chasing is also productive. Now, I stop and I think about that. You you can almost translate this verse as the word blessed as happy. Now think about this as we read this passage of Scripture. Happy is the man whom you chasten or you instruct. Now, I never did. I I can't remember a time that when I was a little boy that my dad corrected me that I went away happy. And I can't really remember a time that my boys, when they were corrected, jumped up and down and said, wait, way to go, Dad, let's do it again. (laughs) No. Well, what is the writer talking about there? When he says, blessed is the man, happy 
is the man. Chastening will develop a holy life. You stop and think about it. Some of the happiest people today, one time in their life, they've been to the woodshed. I've got joy, joy, joy down deep in my heart today because God has told me that He is holy and that I am to be holy. I am to live a life of holiness and a life of purity. And God smiles upon a life that demonstrates a holy life. And in return, there will be happiness and joy. But not only chastening is the result of a holy life, chastening is of a happy life. The happiest people in the world are God's people. Living and moving and dwelling And walking in the ways of the Lord. You sometimes may ask, why do certain things happen in my life? Could it possibly be there is some sin in your life or there's some rebellion, rebellious spirit in your life toward God? And you've never dealt with it. And so what God is trying to do is get your attention. And what God is trying to do is to correct you, to instruct you, and to produce through you the Spirit-filled life. As I used to tell my boys... The best thing you can do is come clean. The best thing you can do is come clean. The best thing you can do with God is come clean. So in just the next few moments, we're going to bow our head, heads and then we're going to pray. And would you begin to pray asking the Lord to reveal anything in your life that would not be pleasing to Him. Because God, I don't want to go to the woodshed. I want to learn. And if I have gone to the woodshed, I just pray that I have learned my lesson and that by doing Your will would be pleasing unto You. Would you stand with me? Bow your heads with me in prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, we present ourselves to you as a living sacrifice. A sacrifice that should be holy. A sacrifice that has been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. As David says, Oh Lord, search my heart. Search me inwardly. And to let me know if there's any any wayward way 
And oh God, by you revealing it to me, that I'll confess. Lord, you're teaching me. You are producing your work within my life today. Help me, Father, to do your will. In Jesus' name. Now, I've been primarily talking to believers today. If you're not a child of God, you're certainly not His Son. And by not being His Son, your judgment will come later. At a time of judgment. And so there's a clear way to see whether I'm a child of God. If I'm living in sin and there's no conviction and there's no rebuking and there's no chastening. Clear sign. I've never been saved. Today you need to get saved. Today you need to receive the Lord. And so really it's a twofold invitation that those believers need to come, those that who are non-believers need to come to become believers, as well as those that need to unite with this church. As God speaks to your heart, would you come?